I recently helped hundreds of people achieve more in a few months than they had the previous several years. And now I'm getting ready to open up another challenge where I want to help you do the same. Here is actually a short testimonial of someone who was in that challenge. This challenge was hands down the best thing I did all year. And I appreciate the time, energy, and heart that you put into it. My name is Dr. Benjamin Hardy. I'm an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of many books that have now sold millions of copies. Click the link down below and watch this free training where I will show you these frameworks on how you can achieve more in the next 90 days than you possibly have in the last five to 10 years. Click the link down below and watch the training before it goes away. How's it going? I'm Dr. Benjamin Hardy, author of Be Your Future Self Now. And in this video, I'm going to share with you the first three threats to your future self. In this book, I break down the seven core threats to your future self, seven truths about your future self, and then seven steps to be your future self now. This is all based on cutting edge research on the topic of future self, which is becoming the biggest subject in all of psychology. This is the paperback version which just came out. There's a blurb by Tony Robbins on the front where he basically said, knowing your future self is key to living powerfully and purposefully. Dr. Benjamin Hardy has laid out the groundwork in science so that you can not only know your future self intimately, but so that you can transform your life. That's what Tony Robbins said about this book. So in this video, I'm gonna share with you the three first threats that I break down in section one of this book so that you can reinvent your life. The first threat to your future self is having a lack of hope and purpose for your future. In that section, I share the story of Viktor Frankl. If you've never read the book, Man's Search for Meaning, please do. Uh, that is one of the best books in the world, and it's all about Viktor Frankl and his experience in the Nazi concentration camps. And the fundamental insight of Man's Search for Meaning is that if you lack hope and purpose towards your future, then you have no meaning in the present. And that may not seem that counterintuitive or that revolutionary, but it, it is. Most people believe that the present can be disconnected to the future. And also most people believe, and even most psychologists believed back when Viktor Frankl wrote that book, most psychologists believed that if you want to understand who a person was and understand if a person, you know, basically a person's mental well-being, all you had to do was look at the past. And if a person had a good past, they probably have a great present, which means they'll probably have a good future. But that's not what Frankl believed. Frankl believed it wasn't really the past fundamentally that determined a person's well-being in the present, although that, that's important, but what he believed was way more important. He believed way more important than the past, but also way more important than present circumstances was a person's sense of hope and purpose towards their future. He believed that if a person had a sense of hope and purpose towards their future, that it really didn't matter what their present circumstances were. They could even be in a concentration camp, using his example. They could still not only have hope, they could still not only have happiness, but they could have meaning, that their lives could be meaningful and that they could be resilient or even to use Nassim Taleb's language, they could become anti-fragile where they could use the experiences they're having to transform their lives spiritually, emotionally, and ultimately they could achieve their goal. Frankl believed that without a goal or a purpose towards your future, that your present loses all meaning. And then from there, your outside circumstances dictate your experience which can really mess you up, especially if you're in a tough situation. So what happened in this section of the book, in that first threat, is I actually broke down the research on hope. And there's a lot of research on hope. Hope is a very powerful thing. Hope, from a psychological standpoint, is a lot more powerful than just optimism. Optimism means you have a general sense that the future is going to be better. Hope is a lot more powerful. Hope means that you actually have a sense of agency about your life. Hope isn't just passive. It's very active. Hope means you have agency and that you believe that you have a purpose for your future and that you're committed to that future. 
This is where hope gets really interesting because hope actually rests on commitment and commitment is a sense of agency. So you can't have hope without agency. You can't have hope without having set a conscious, committed choice about that purpose. You've got to have a sense of purpose, which you are highly committed to. And once you get highly committed to it, which you chose, then you have intensified hope and that hope continues to grow. And that hope then leads you to a a core component of hope, which is called pathway thinking. Meaning, and this fits with the quote that Viktor Frankl shared over and over and over again, which comes from Nietzsche. And he said, if you have a why to live for, you can bear almost any how. And so what that means is that if you have a why to live for in the future, you can bear any circumstance, but also you can bear the process of transforming into your future self. You can bear the learning process. There's a similar quote from Bill Walsh, and he was the famous football coach for the 49ers. He said, when your why is strong enough, you will find the how. So that fits with pathways thinking, is that you will find the pathway, you'll find the relationships, you'll find the way to get there because your why is so strong. There's one other really important part about hope, and that's that researchers have broken hope people uh, into two categories, either high hope or low hope people. And it's really based on those three nuggets that I said, that high hope people have a sense of agency, meaning they have a sense of choice, that they can actually choose their goals, they can choose their directions, they are committed to their goals, so they've got clear and committed goals, and then ultimately pathway thinking. They take feedback from not hitting their goals and they use that to adjust their path. So they're constantly iterating. They're constantly adjusting and changing. Whereas low hope people, they don't believe they have agency. They have what psychologists would call an external locus of control. And there's a lot of research that shows if you have an external locus of control, then you're highly likely to be depressed. And what an external locus of control means is that you don't believe you have choice over what you can be and do and have. You actually believe that it's fully external factors that dictate who you are and what's going to happen in your life. That's an external locus of control. And having an external locus of control correlated with depression, it's also unrelated to having a sense of agency and a sense of purpose and also a sense of high hope and choosing your goals and of taking feedback from life and constantly turning all feedback into anti-fragile new pathways. Anti-fragile is a phenomenal book by Nassim Taleb where he just says, no matter what happens, you're going to turn it into learning progress and growth. So that's threat number one. Threat number one to your future self is not having a sense of hope and purpose towards your future. This is one of the biggest insights from this research on future self is that it's really your relationship to your future. Yes, your relationship to your past matters, and that's actually what I'm going to go into in threat two, but it's really your relationship to your future that's driving your life. And there's even a concept in the book, The Three Laws of Performance, which is a great book, by David Logan. He's a researcher at USC. And he talks about a concept called our default future. We all have a default future. And that default future is actually what's driving our behavior in the present. And that default future is what you most expect and what you most believe. It's actually based on your language and based on your identity. And so ultimately, the goal is to not have a default future that's driving your life, but ultimately to have a consciously chosen sense of mission and purpose that drives your life. And there's a a great quote from Dan Sullivan, who I've written many books with, and he says that your eyes can only see and your ears can only hear what your brain is looking for. And so what that means is is that you get to choose what your purpose is. And once you do that, you're going to consciously figure out how to get there. Psychologists call that selective attention. There's another great quote from Dan where he said that the only way to make your present better is by making your future bigger. And so as you make your future sense of purpose and mission bigger, That's going to change your present because it's going to change what's required of you in the present. If you have massive goals, it's going to stretch you a lot in the present. 
and being stretched in the present is going to stretch you, which is going to stretch your reality. It's going to stretch your time. It's going to stretch your identity. It's going to make your days more powerful. It's also going to make your days more meaningful. And that's back to Viktor Frankl, that you can't have meaning by simply just chilling and disconnecting your life from your future. Meaning comes from having a purpose to be fulfilled in your future. And without that, there is no meaning. So now let's jump into threat number two, which is in this book. Threat number two of your future self. The second core threat to your future self is actually having a reactive narrative about your past. To explain this, I'm going to show my screen and I'm going to show you a model that I created about your identity. So most people, when they're thinking about the present, and as I said before, a lot of people believe in a lot of psychologists, including Adler and even Freud, believed that this is the case, that if you want to understand who a person is in the present, all you have to do is look at the past. And the belief was is that the past is what determines the present. It's also believed that the past is what is what shapes the present and that a person is simply the byproduct of their past. So this is the arrow of time. And this is how we look at time. But from a psychology standpoint, this is not accurate. This is more powerful. This is a much higher sense of mastery. But this takes a lot more emotional development. There's a quote from one of my favorite psychologists, and I share it in this section of the book. It's from Brent Slife. He's a theoretical psychologist, and he's studied the psychology of time for a long time. And he basically said this. He said, it's more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than to say that the past causes the meaning of the present. And so threat number two is having a reactive narrative about the past. When I say reactive, it means you're reacting to the past rather than proactively reshaping the past. One of my favorite books is called Anti-Fragile. And being anti-fragile means that no matter what happens, you become better. And especially when volatility happens. So things that are fragile, they break when things are difficult or when things are volatile. But things which are anti-fragile, they actually get better when there's shocks, when there's traumas, when there's challenges. And Nassim Taleb goes so far as to say that you should hope. He says, if you are the fire, you should hope for wind. Why? Because wind blows out fire. So he even invites you to fail because if you can fail and then learn from that, you're going to be way better than if you avoid failure. And so what I mean by threat number two being a reactive narrative about your past is that if you believe your past happened to you rather than you in the present deciding how much it happened for you, then you're screwed because this means that your past is driving your present and your present is driving your future. And that's not how you want to approach things if you want to start being your future self now. Also, if you want to become higher emotionally flexible and ultimately start operating from your future, this is how you want to do it, is you want the present to continually reshape the meaning of the past. No matter what happened, this is how you become anti-fragile. This is also how you emotionally develop as a person. If you are emotionally rigid, what that means is, is that the past is dictating who you are and that you believe that who you are now is because of the past and you have no control over it. This is how trauma is formed, is that, and obviously there are various levels of trauma, but the way to experience post-traumatic growth is that at some point or another in the present, you reshape the meaning of the past. And to do that, you have to approach the past, not avoid the past. Also, you have to realize that you have agency and that in the present, you have the power to reshape the meaning of the past. Also, in the present, you can take even your hardest experiences and become anti-fragile, meaning you can become better, not bitter as a result. And in this way, your past is simply a tool. Your past is a tool just like your future is a tool. And as you increasingly make your past more valuable, even your hardest experiences, as you take those experiences and make them more valuable, more useful, then the past becomes an asset. 
And that's what you want. And you want your past to be an asset, not a liability. And if your past is an asset, that means it's extremely valuable to you. It's useful to you. And because of that, you're getting increasing interest on it. Because that experience, whatever it was, and you have control over your experiences, you proactively shape the narrative of your past rather than reactively being the, narrative, you know, being the byproduct of your past. When you take your past and turn it into an asset, then that means that your present and your future are always getting better and you're getting more and more returns on that experience because you've chosen to make it valuable. So threat number two is having a reactive narrative about the past such that your past dictates your present rather than that your present dictates your past. From a psychology standpoint, the past, present, and future, your past, present, and future are all right now. If you want a powerful experience in the present, you want an increasingly useful past, an increasingly positive past. And you can even have a positive past despite what happened. We've all gone through trauma. We've all had crazy things, but you get to shape the meaning of it. And if you shape the meaning of it, and if you shape meaning such that it's valuable, useful, and makes you better, then you have a lot of post-traumatic growth, which increases your meaning and joy in the present, but also increases what's possible for you in the future. So threat number two is having a reactive narrative about the past, whereas if you want to improve your future self, you want to have a proactive narrative about your past. Threat number three is being unaware of how your environment is impacting you. There's a great quote from Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar said, your input shapes your outlook. There's another great quote from Marshall Goldsmith. Marshall Goldsmith is a performance coach, and he said, if you do not create and control your environment, then your environment creates and controls you. And this is one of the big aspects of psychology is, is that as people, we are who we are because of the context we're in. But one of the things that Dr. Ellen Lager, who is one of the top researchers in the world on mindfulness and on context says, is, is that the more mindful you become, the more you shape the context you are in. So as people, the environment is shaping who we become. And if you're unaware of your environment and unaware of how that's shaping you, that's a massive threat to your future self because you're putting your future self basically up to random chance. So back to the quote, your input shapes your outlook. If you're just randomly scrolling through Facebook as an example, you have no idea how that is shaping your mind. Your input shapes your outlook. And there's that great quote that if, you, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. Well, on social media, you are the product. There are companies that spend billions and billions of dollars to send you ads to put inputs in your mind. So they're slowly reshaping your view and shaping your desires and shaping your identity so that you want what they're giving you. And so your input, your environment, your friends, the people you spend time with are shaping your future self. And so if you're unaware of your environment and how that environment is shaping you, then your future self is gonna be random. You can't control it. And so instead of having that threat to your future self about being unmindful about your environment, you wanna be highly mindful of your environment and you actually want to set up the environments that are more likely to help you become your future self. So as an example, there's that quote that says that you're the, you're the product of the five people you spend the most time with. If you're not really aware of the five people you spend the most time with, then you're, you're, just, you're unaware of who your future self is becoming. Instead, you want to be very conscious and, th and thoughtful and selective and strategic about those five people. So you want to look at those five people and you want to say, do these five people represent my future self or my past self? If they more represent your past self, then you're not really setting your future self up for success. Instead, you want the five people around you most to reflect your future self and to help you become your future self. But also, even the information you consume, most of the information you consume is probably trash. And so rather than just randomly consuming junk, which is shaping your worldview and shaping your future self, 
be highly selective and thoughtful about what you let in and consume information and experiences that are helping you become your desired future self. These are the three first threats that will dramatically threaten your future self. Number one is not having a sense of hope, purpose, and mission towards your future. If you don't have that, then you don't have meaning in the present and you can't have resilience or anti-fragility as Viktor Frankl would say. Threat number two is having a reactive narrative about your past such that the past is dictating who you are in the present and you're not consciously and proactively continuously reshaping the past into a greater and greater asset so that you're constantly becoming more and more anti-fragile. Instead, you're fragile because the past, you're being reactive to the past. The third is being unaware of your environment and how much this environment is shaping you. And if you're unaware of your environment and how it's shaping you, then you're like a boat without a sail. You're just being tossed to and fro by whatever random inputs are hitting you and you're ultimately going to become the byproduct of your environment. Your future self is going to be left to fate rather than left to choice. My name is Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Please grab a copy of Be Your Future Self Now. I hope you enjoy it and uh, have a great day. Talk to you later.